Well, again, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm Pastor Rick, the pastor here at Restoration Anglican. Um, a special welcome to those of you who are uh, joining us from the live stream. And I also want to take a minute to just thank the staff today of Restoration for making this last-minute transition possible. So, Aaron, thank you for getting the live stream up and running, and Derek for figuring out the sound, and Jess for figuring out uh, kind of the, the, what, the additional setup and teardown stuff that was, that's needed today, Emily with the hospitality stuff, um, everyone, and Andrew also helping out with the setup and teardown, and Molly as well. You did a ton this week, babe. I'm just really proud of you. <laughs> um, but thank you, staff. And so when you see a staff person today, be sure to thank them for their flexibility uh, and just the, the brilliance uh, in, in all of these last-minute changes and stuff that we've had to make. Um, kids, thank you also for being here today. Uh, as I've been, um, one of the things that I, I love actually about being in the parkway is that we can hear the voices of the kids more vibrantly. Uh, and we uh, sometimes uh, outside, there's, there's a few uh, distractions and whatnot, uh, so it's also lovely to be able to, to see all of your faces here. Um, yeah, but kids, uh, as you heard the scripture passages today, you probably, you may have caught our reading in Ephesians. Um, Paul is writing this, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing this from prison. And so this might not be the most exciting, like, happy thing to draw in your bulletins today, but I would be curious to, to see what a, what a picture of Paul would look like writing these sorts of things about unity and peace and praise. Like, what would it be like to, for a man like Paul to be writing about these happy things but in prison? Like, that to me is a weird thing. So I don't know how you could communicate that, um, but if you have some drawing materials, if you have your bulletins there, feel free to... Um, make a drawing of that. Uh, and then afterwards, if you're comfortable, give your doodle to a staff person. And we would love to put those on display. We've got like a drawing uh, board that's available. It might be in storage today right now because of the change in location, um, but we'll have that at the outdoor services too. Um, but let's pray with us. Please pray with me and we'll jump into our message today. Lord Jesus, we are one body and we are united under you, our head. I pray, Lord, that you would pour your spirit out upon us today, that even now you would be making us an even more unified congregation. Lord, there are many things that you have ahead of us uh, these next several months and this next season. So may you unify us together that we might be your body, proclaiming your kingdom in your world. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So have you guys been, uh, have you all had a chance to watch any of the Olympics? Uh, any of the, you know, what, what's, what are some favorite events that you've seen so far? Swimming? Cool. And what, did you say badgering? Oh, gymnastics, of course. That's awesome. What are some other fun ones? Yeah, cool, cool. Man, I'm so glad y'all are watching the gymnastics. Like that's, or watching the Olympics. That's awesome. So what I love, uh, in addition to watching the events themselves, are those like post-victory interviews, you know, because the athletes are either like climbing out of the pool or, or they're getting off the mat or whatever, and they're just sort of loopy, you know, because they can't believe that they just won, you know, a gold medal or something like that. And, and it's just, you see the excitement that's just beaming from them. Uh, have, have you guys been watching those as well, some of those interviews? Okay, cool, great. I'm glad to hear that. See, I can also talk to you all in the theater, and I can hear your responses. This is kind of nice. So my favorite post, 
victory interview was Tamira Menshaw-Stock, who won the gold for uh, women's freestyle wrestling. And as soon as she's done, she hops up in front of the camera, and like she is just bursting in, in joy and excitement and elation. And you just can't help but see her smiling with tears running down her eyes and just be so excited with and for her. Did any of you see that interview with her? Yeah, okay, good, good. I'm so glad you all saw that. So she hops up there, and she's totally out of breath. She's exploding with joy. She's smiling. She's crying. She's laughing, you know, all these sorts of things. She's got this American flag that's, like, draped over, over her. She's, like, hugging at one point. She's just so happy and proud and excited. And the, interview at, the interviewer asks her, did you think that you could actually win the gold? And, like, without skipping a beat, she looks him in the eye and almost, like, terrified me. She looks him in the eye. She's like, yes, I knew it. I knew I could win the gold. I knew I was going to do this and I did it. And you're just like, oh yeah, yeah, you did. Like, that's awesome. Way to go. It's just absolutely explosive. So over the course of the interview though, you realize that Tamira also had several other voices speaking to her and moving her and calling her and pulling her into this path to victory. So you hear about the voice of her father who had been in her life, who was a refugee from Ghana and uh, whose, whose um, voice was still ringing clearly in her heart. You also hear about the voice of her family and the camera pans to them in Florida and they all erupt in, in applause and excitement. And so you know that those voices were calling out to her as well. And then you hear about the voices of her coaches, who she said, they dragged me through hell and back. You know, like, uh, they were just totally pushing her and stretching her. And so the voices of her coaches were with her. And then also the interviewer says, you know, are, are, is it, uh, how do you feel about representing America in this? And she just hugs the flag and she's like, oh, I'm so proud of my country. I'm so proud to be here right now. And so even as a fellow American, like, I felt like I was united with her in that moment. Like, it was just really, really exciting. So you could tell that all of these voices created, created this cacophony of calling upon her. You could tell that she was, it wasn't just totally an internal victory, although she certainly deserves that gold medal and she worked hard for it. But she was also there in large part because of the voices that had been calling out to her, fueling her down this path. She was united uh, with those voices. Or through that, through her calling, she was united with those voices voices. At one point, the interviewer asks her, how do you think your father would feel right now? And Tamira says, oh, he would be the loudest person in the room. You would be able to hear him from all over the place. And so it's almost like her calling. I know, I know, he passed away. Oh, I thought I mentioned that. Yeah, so her father had passed away. And so when the interviewer asked, thank you, Molly, when her interviewer asked her, him about when the interviewer asked her about her father, she said that he would be the loudest person in the room. And so it's almost as if his calling to her and her pursuit of wrestling was even a way of uniting her with her father. It's as if she's bringing all of those voices with her to her victory. So my point is this. When you are truly called to something, and some of you know very clearly what a calling looks like upon your life, when you are called to something, there's also a unity that emerges from that. Calling and unity very much go hand in hand. So if we were at the playground right now, if we were at recess, and I was a, a team captain, and I was picking people, I was calling people out, if I called you to be on my team, 
you would be united with me in making sure that we whooped the other team. My calling would lead to us being unified. Or if you're at work and your boss calls you into her office and she says, I have a very special project for you to work on right now. You would be unified with her in that pursuit of creating that product. Calling and unity go hand in hand with each other. So we're going to be looking at the first few verses of our passage from Ephesians today. Uh, I know it's been a, a kind of a zigzagging last couple of weeks. Uh, many of you, I would not blame you at all if you forgot that we're preaching through some of the lectionary passages on Ephesians. Um, last week uh, was canceled because we thought there was going to be a lot of smoke in the air. A week before that, Father Matt was there and we heard a message from him. But we're picking up in Ephesians. We're picking up right in the middle of the book of Ephesians. So chapter 4, those first few verses. Now if I was to flip back the pages... And if we were to read through Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, we would hear this unfolding of the beautiful plan for God's, or God's eternal plan to defeat the devil, eradicate sin, and restore this world back into his wholeness. That is the story that Paul has been telling us, this cosmic, eternal, beautiful story. And we would see how this plan is continually unfolding throughout human history. In Jesus Christ, God defeated death, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and he is now from heaven creating something entirely new. New for all of us as individuals, but also he's creating a new society, a new culture, a new church, a new people for us to belong to. This isn't something that's just for individuals, but it's for all of us. And today, here in Ephesians 4, we read something truly remarkable. What we read is that there is a calling upon every single one of you. Man, woman, and child. There is a calling upon each one of you. Paul says this, the voice of Paul, the voice of the Holy Spirit, says this, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You see, friends, God's eternal cosmic plan has a place for all of you, for all of us. And in this calling, you are united to something. You're united to, to something more deep than any sort of national affiliation. You're united to something more empowering than a sports team. You're united to something more deep and bonding than even the bonds of family. And there are challenges with this calling as well, challenges that are greater than a pursuit of, of Olympic gold, as mighty and as impressive that is, but our opposition is real. Our enemies are strong. Our conflict is complex. But the victory is far more greater than any of our earthly imagines, imaginations could ever comprehend. Well, today I want to look at this calling we have. Specifically, I want to look at the, the profound unity that flows from this calling that we have. What does our unity look like as brothers and sisters? What are the challenges that we face? How do we press forward through this? So Ephesians 4, verse 4, says this. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called, there is one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So I don't know if you're accounting, but Paul uses the word one here seven different times. So he's really big into unity, and he wants to make sure that that message comes clear to us. So you are known, named, and redeemed by Jesus, but that means that you are also united with him. And there, this unity that we have 
has a Trinitarian shape to it. Aaron, do you mind clicking the AC down? It is, it's getting a little stuffy in here, I think. Maybe, yeah, thank you, sir. So there is a unity that we are all being called to. Maybe I'm just burning up because there's like 100 lights on right now. <laughs> um, but we want to make sure everyone's comfortable, right? So this unity has a Trinitarian shape to it. There's a Trinitarian shape to this unity that we see in verse 4. First, we are united in one body by one spirit. That one body is the church. It's, it's the body of Jesus Christ himself that you and I are a part of. And it's one of the reasons why I get really excited about the name of your church, Incarnation, because uh, your, your people will always be reminded of the fact that through baptism, we are united with Christ, and we are a part of his body. What a beautiful truth to, to contemplate in the name of your church. But this is a body that is comprised of all peoples, from all nations and all ethnicities, all across the globe. And this is a unity that is caused, that is infused, that is, is created for us by the power of the Holy Spirit, who indwells all of us. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, By one spirit we are all baptized into one body, both Greeks and Jews, slaves and free. We are all made to drink of one spirit. Our Holy Spirit brings us into one body. But second, our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope, our goal, our focus, what we dream about, what we look forward to is in Jesus Christ. He is the one who died and rose again. And because he walked among us, we know that he will come again. Just as the mystery of faith that we proclaim every single week, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. That is our common hope. It's in Jesus Christ. But thirdly, we are one family. We're one family under one God, under one Father of all. So do you see how our oneness that we're being called to dovetails or is coupled with or, or flows from the oneness of God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are one body in the Spirit. We have one shared hope in the Son. And we are one family under the Father. So the oneness that you and I share with one another, is, or, and that is the oneness of the church, flows from the oneness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, because God is one, we, his church, ought to be one also. I love what John Stott says about this. He says, you can no more have multiple churches than you can have multiple gods. Is there only one God? Then he only has one church. The unity of the church is as indestructible as the unity of God himself. It's no more possible to split the church than it is possible to split the Godhead. There is no divided church. So we are unified to one another under our one God. Now, my guess is if you have two eyes and two ears and you read headlines and you've been to plenty of churches, including this one, you, you might be scratching your head right now and, and thinking, Rick, that's, are you delusional? Like, are you on something, Rick? Like, the church is clearly very split. The church is clearly very divided. You know, I, I mean, have you been asking that? As I've been saying, like, there's one church, you know, over and over again. Now, we might not be like the ancient Jews. The ancient Jews had a, a literal physical wall dividing the, the Jews from the Gentiles in their temple. So if you were not Jewish, you didn't get to pass that wall. You didn't get to get close to the most holiest of places in the temple. We might not have a wall like that, 
But we have plenty of other dividing walls, don't we? We have denominational walls. We have doctrinal walls. And sometimes these walls that we have, these distinctions we have, are actually drawn across ethnic or gender lines or economic lines. In fact, I, we might even be able to say that the church's division is one of her most well-known traits in the eyes of the world and, and even in the eyes of ourselves at times. So how do we reconcile these two things? How do we reconcile uh, what we read in the Holy Scriptures, the unity that we see Paul calling us to, the Holy Spirit calling us to, how do we reconcile that with the disunity that we see all around us every day? Well, here I think it's important for us to distinguish between two ways of looking at the church. So I think we're called to dis- make a distinguish, uh, to distinguish between the church invisible and the church visible. The church invisible and the church visible. So the church invisible, this is the reality that is present in the mind of God himself. And this isn't like some sort of imaginary, like out there sort of reality. No, this is the most real of real realities. It exists in the mind of God. The oneness that we hear described in the Holy Scriptures, the oneness for which Jesus Christ sent his, or in which Jesus Christ came to die for, it is a oneness in which we ourselves will experience when we get to enter into the heavenlies ourselves. That is the oneness of the church invisible. And I think even today we get glimmers of this, don't we? We get these little hints and, and, and moments of it. And perhaps it's at some sort of interdenominational prayer gathering. Or maybe it's even in the airport and you sit down next to a fellow believer from another culture and another tradition. And, and you're able to bond over your common unity in Christ. That is evidence of the church invisible. And there's something in our souls that just sort of comes alive. And we, we sort of smell uh, the, the beautiful bouquet of the Holy Spirit in those moments. But then there's also the church visible. There's that which we see in our, with our eyes. It's us here today gathered with all of our baggage and our histories and our presuppositions, our questions, our doctrinal preferences, all those sorts of things. It's present here in this room. It's also present by our physical reality, the, the fact that many of our members are joining us uh, here in the room, but also some are in, uh, joining us on the live stream. Some are enjoying summer vacations right now and are probably worshiping with other congregations. You know, we are physically um, reminded of our division, our, our physical separateness as well. But then there's also more than this. There's brothers and sisters across the globe, millions of other believers whose Christian experiences are very different than ours, uh, but who are our brother and sister nonetheless? So both of these things exist. The church visible and the church invisible. Both of them are realities. And they are this this tension that exists. They are this, this paradox that exists within reality that you and I live in every single day. But the Bible is not ignorant of this tension. The Bible doesn't look at our divisiveness today and not speak to it at all. The Bible is actually incredibly relevant to this particular paradox and to this particular paradox that we see. In verse 3, Paul says this. He says, we ought to be eager to maintain the unity. So what Paul is doing here, it's very subtle, but what Paul is doing is he's recognizing that it's a struggle. 
He's recognizing that there is a chasm at times, that there is a gap at times between the church visible and invisible. And he's saying we need to be eager to maintain the unity. We need to be bridge builders. We need to be men and women and children who are able to reach across that gap and maintain the unity to fight for it, to hold to it. So that word in the original language for eager is a bit more forceful and strong than that. Like I hear the word eager and I'm like, in fact, I, I used it this morning. We were talking about the movie Dune, and I was like, I'm very eager to go see the movie Dune. Like, that'll be fun. Let's see how that turns out. You know, that should be fun and interesting, right? That's not really the tone that Paul is using here. That original word for eager, it, it can be also translated as to hurry or to obsess over something, to earnestly desire something, um, to be bent on something was what one of the dictionaries told me, uh, to strive towards something. And so it's much more than just this sort of let's wait and see how this turns out sort of tone. No, the tone to it is that we are supposed to be struggling and fighting and yearning and obsessing over our unity with brothers and sisters across the globe, but also brothers and sisters here in this room. We're supposed to be fighting for the unity with one another, with one another. So Paul sees this paradox between the church visible and invisible, and he calls us to be united with one another. He calls us towards that unity. He wants us to think about unity. He wants us to strategize about unity. He wants us to pray for unity. He wants us to talk about unity with others. He wants us to obsessively hope for our unity with one another. So let's imagine a a pretend situation that's Rather sad and and tragic, but I I think this will be helpful. And and John Stott gives this illustration, and and I thought it fit fit perfectly. So let's let's imagine for a moment a very tragic human family. So there's a father and a mother, and then they have, I don't know, a handful of adult children. Now, over time, the parents, they begin to fight and bicker. Uh, Eventually, they get separated. And then finally, they divorce one another. They're fully estranged from one another. And then likewise, their adult children start to kind of go down the same path in their relationships with each other. Uh, They become estranged with one another. They stop talking to one another. And then they decide to kind of push their estrangement even further by relocating to different parts of the country. Maybe one child moves to Seattle, another one moves to Phoenix, another one goes to Orlando, and another one maybe lands here in Minneapolis. And then as a final sort of mark or sign of their anger and frustration with one another, they all decide to change their last names. So one is Smith, one is Anderson, one is Peterson, and one is Brunsvold. They're, they're all Norwegians, and they want uh, Norwegian names. Smith isn't Norwegian, though, is it? No, okay, we'll, we'll excuse Smith. He was really mad, so he didn't even want to associate with that. So they all change their last names. They live in different cities. One of them lives here in Minneapolis, and let's just say that uh, he's your next-door neighbor. And you meet this gentleman, and you talk to him, and he's, he's actually very open about these things, uh, and you start to learn a little bit more about his story. You learn that he just recently moved here. You learn that he's estranged from his family. You learn that he's actually changed his last name because he's so fed up with them, and he wants absolutely nothing to do with them anymore. So if you heard that story, how would you feel to that? Or how would you feel about that? Would you just kind of shrug your shoulders and you'd say, oh, that's interesting, that's no big deal, you know? I mean, technically, they're still family, right? And then you would just kind of ignore it? Would it prick on your heart? Would it ever move you? Would you ever be stirred to bring up that 
that tragedy ever again, and obviously in a very gentle, patient, sort of understanding kind of way. But maybe you would be tempted to say, you know, all that really matters is their biological unity. You know, this sort of invisible bond that we can't really see. That's, that's all that really matters, and so I'm not really going to care about their visible relationships anymore. Like, I don't think so. I don't think that we would truly be content with the um, present situation of this family. My hope, and I think, knowing so many of you and how kind and sweet and generous and, and humble that you are, I would think that you would lovingly continue to be that person's friend. And maybe as the years progressed, you would share meals with this individual and, and perhaps his, um, his immediate family as well. And maybe you would listen to more of the story. You would learn more details of it. Maybe you would even figure out um, ways in which this person has failed in that situation, but also how the other families have. And maybe you would look for opportunities to offer wise counsel for restoring those relationships. Perhaps you would be so bold at times as to suggest repentance of this individual. And maybe you would even help them start strategizing steps of reconciliation. It would be a long process. It might not even conclude. But my suspicion is that we would be stirred so much by hearing such a heartbreaking story like that to help this person be eager to maintain unity and restoration with their family. That's what it means to strive towards unity. That's what it means to, to live in the visible, broken world that we are, but still strive after the, the invisible, beautiful uni, uh, truths of, of unity that we actually do have as brothers and sisters adopted into one family under one God and Father of all. Now, thankfully, as Anglicans living in 2021, we have, like, no risk of division and controversy, and disunity, like, we totally get to escape all of that stuff, right? So, so let's, let's go out now, and let's just get on with the rest of our week, right? <laughs> no, not at all. Like, we are, especially here today, like, we are at such risk for disunity. Like, I think even being back here in this theater is, it, like, I don't know about you, but I've got these, like, mixed feelings right now. It's like, oh, like, this is where we were in the winter, and, you know, so much has changed in the last year and a half. I have so many, like, thoughts and feelings about that. You know, we could choose to get in an uproar over masks or not masks or in person or live stream or all sorts of things. And even if it wasn't for the pandemic and all those sorts of things, Anglicans are really good at, like, finding a, ca a camp within Anglicanism and sort of nerding out about those things. Like, are we going to wear vestments? Are we not going to wear vestments? Are we going to use incense or not use incense? Are we going to light the candles in this sort of way or that sort of way? Or blah, 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 blah. Like we can look for so many ways to be divided against one another. Sometimes we enjoy that kind of behavior too. Well, the devil would love nothing more than to leverage our present circumstances, all of our thoughts and feelings about the pandemic and politics and whatever. He would love to leverage those things to tear us apart. In fact, you've heard me say before, devil and divide come from the same word. He is the divider. That is what he loves to do. He loves to separate us from one another. He loves to separate us internally from ourselves. And he loves especially to separate us from our God and Father in heaven. He is the great divider. And friends, we are all frustrated by this pandemic. I'm so frustrated about the Delta variant and all the kind of the resurfacing of, of the complexities and, and the real risks that are coming along with that. You know, we, we were hoping that it was going to be over, but, you know, clearly there's, there's some more work that's ahead of us. 
And it would be so easy for us as a community to take out our frustration upon one another. So may we resist that. As your pastor, I plead with you, please, like for the unity of our congregation. Because the stakes are so high. And we have such an awesome future ahead of us. You know, I think about the last three and a half years of this church and just all that we've, we've been through, but especially the good stuff. Like, I love, I love you, uh, when you when you come over to our home for newcomer's dinner and we get to hear your stories or we go to sessions or series or these other events and, and I get to learn more about what the Lord is doing in your life and how he's, he's equipping you for ministry and the, and the gifts that, you've, that you have and, and what you want to share with the church. I get so excited about that stuff because it's so clear that, that God has something magnificent in mind for Restoration Anglican here in Minneapolis. He's just recently given us a building and we get to prepare this and I'm going to talk more about that after the service. But like there's like what sort of things is God going to do in this congregation in order to bless this neighborhood and to bless the Twin Cities through all of you? Like there's so much that we get to be a part of. It's so exciting. And so to see these threats to our unity sort of come and pop up among us, like it's, it's terrifying. And I think that we need to have our eyes wide open about this. And that we need to be able to cast out the devil you know, in the name of Jesus, to tell him to leave us alone because the Lord Jesus Christ has so much plan and purpose and, and victory and excitement ahead of us. We are going to be going into such an exciting year especially, but on and on from this. I am so excited for our future. So may we, brothers and sisters, being held together in the bond of the Spirit, under one body, in one family, may we be fighting for the unity of ourselves and those around us. We ask all of this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.